0: Welcome to the Jewish Education Experience Podcast with your hosts, Yasmina and Ari, who will be uncovering gems of wisdom with Jewish educators from around the world.
1: If you like our episodes and you want to become a patron, you can help support more episodes just like this by going to www.patreon.com forward slash Jewish Education Experience Podcast. Um, hello, our guest today is Janet Luderman. Uh, Janet began teaching in 1981 at Beth El Synagogue in Margate, New Jersey. And since then, she has taught in many different classrooms all over Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Elkins Park, Pennsylvania. And she and I taught together at Beth Zion, Beth Israel in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, for several years before we both kind of went our separate journeys. And now Janet is in Israel and living on a kibbutz near the Kinneret up, up north. Um, hi, Janet. Welcome hi. to our podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. This is a great treat to talk with you. Let's. We're definitely excited to find some gems and discover, you know, some of your teaching secrets as we go through uh, this interview. Not sure um, about gems, but <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll share what I know. You have, you have. <laughs> some. We'll find them. <laughs> um, will you just tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you began your journey in education? It was
2: quite by accident. I was working at the JCC in Margate. And uh, Bethel needed a teacher. I had the qualifications. And I fell into teaching uh, Hebrew school there for at sixth graders in a conservative synagogue. And I grew up conservative, so I knew the philosophy. And I fell in love with the kids and have been teaching ever since. I think kids are great.
1: It's um, true. They are.
2: Yeah, they, they, they are so they inspire me so much. They want to learn, but they don't want to be treated as children. They want to be treated as people. And if you read it, if you read your students, you can
1: you can accomplish great things with them. For sure. How did you you end up going from you know teaching and moving through the different places that you've taught to where you are now in Israel. Each one by accident. It was as if the path was laid
2: out for me and I never had to search for a job. The jobs always came to me.
0: Sounds like a bit of divine providence there.
2: (laughs) Yes, it does. Listen, my mother told me that I should teach. And of course I wasn't going to listen to her. Of course. <laughs> but, but each time when I, when I went to Beth Torah, um, my friend's mother was the secretary there. So she got me an interview with the principal, which was Rich Topolsky and he loved my ideology and hired me. Now, where was that? Uh, Beth Torah used to be on El- old Welsh road, in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, okay.
0: And was your mother a Jewish educator also?
2: Oh no, please. My parents sliced salami for a living. We owned a gro— they owned a grocery store. I grew wow. up in one. You wow. know, uh, they were. Ch- my father grew up in an Orthodox house, but he didn't believe in God. That's a long story. And my mother grew up as a traditional in a traditional home, and they also moved away from from observing. But it was important to them that I had a strong Jewish education. So Germantown Jewish Center became my babysitter. Wow. So I went there, to there... school three days a week, services on Saturday, Girl Scouts on another day. So I just kind of grew up in the synagogue.
0: And are there any educators that you particularly admire?
2: Um, yeah. Uh, Lance Sussman, Reform Rabbi at Knesset Israel is my mentor, in many ways, it's a Reform synagogue. Uh, Peter Wrigler also came out of Ki. Another great Reform rabbi, Cindy Citron.
0: Ah, yes, a former guest.
2: <laughs> uh, Ross Levy, he does music. He's an educator and, and he does uh, Jewish music. But they all had one thing in common, you mm-hmm. know, like. They allowed me to think out of the box and they went with me and they never said no. Hmm. They were willing to explore unknown territory (gasps) as a team.
0: So that, I'm
2: eternally grateful.
0: Right. Definitely. So, so how do you talk about God and how might this differ with the various age groups that you teach?
2: Well, I'll tell you a story before I tell you that. Because it's a great story. A friend of mine who was my sixth grade student and used to come into my classroom going, yo, mama, what's up? What's up, baby? And I would like, <laughs> hold my head. He's now a rabbi. Wow. And he went in to talk to a kindergarten class about God. And he, one of the questions was, how do you talk to God? Mm. And these little kindergartens said, oh, we We sing. And this rabbi named Alex Kress said, well, what do you sing? And they all started to sing Despacito.
1: Oh, my goodness. That's so funny.
2: (laughs) Wow. The innocence of those children. And yet they could identify with a concept that we have no clue about. I mean, God is a metaphor for a power that we do not understand. And I think each age group, if you're real with them, you can talk about how they, how the students view God, right? Uh, a sixth grade class, I had them sit in the dark in a circle and each person was God with a candle. And anybody could ask a one question and the person in the middle had to answer it. And in the end, they realized how difficult it must be for, being that we have no concept on how to guide us conceptually. You had an old woman. I know this for a fact. Shimmy was on a train to Auschwitz with his grandmother and his grandmother said, Shimmy, how could God do this to us? So her concept of God was like a puppet master. mm mm-hmm. And so you have people that believe in God that way. You have rabbis that in the reform movement that don't believe in God at all until they need God. So you open a path, depending upon the age group, how you do it, but you open the path for them to find their own way to embracing an energy, a a concept, um, a philosophy. That they're not being taught in the house. Okay. But you so, open the path for curiosity.
0: Excuse me? Are most of your students, would you say that they're from like non traditional homes? Yes. Okay.
2: In the conservative movement, they're still non traditional. There are some, we had the benefit of having a, Yasmina and I, of a community that was really into Torah, into Tanakh, into to Halakha, the rabbi was exquisite, Rabbi Stone. Right. But that's not the average.
1: Right.
2: It's true. The average is you go to synagogue, I'll pick you up and we'll go play miniature golf on Saturday. Right. And that's the not it's the acculturation of the American Jew right.
1: into American society. Yeah, for sure. Um how do you how did you find, I guess teaching, you taught all of these different grades. Um, Did you find teaching about God was harder or easier with the younger ones versus the older ones or anything regards to that? Or was it just totally just different?
2: Well, I see students as equals. They may not be my age, but they have a lot to offer me. If I listen and I pay attention so I talk to them the same way I talk to my friends, albeit the language is a little different. <laughs> but the meaning is there. So I might ask an older class, like a sixth-grade class, what do you think about the God concept? You know, do you think there's a God? And if so, what's God like? What, what's your and if and, and if a student says, Well, I don't believe in God, I will ask that student, well. Describe to me the God you don't believe in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that triggers a conversation among students. Right. And it's student-led discussions that kids listen to, not when we paka-paka-paka from the front of the classroom.
0: It's too Right. That For sure. and,
2: and, and that could be a third grader. That could be a 12th grader. It doesn't matter. It's them teaching them.
1: So now, since you're in Israel and you've shifted gears a little bit, um you mainly are tutoring, right? Are you tutoring yeah. any Hebrew or are you English or English? okay that's Rome. Don't forget Rome is where you
2: live. <laughs> so these kids have to learn English
0: that's so sorry so oh, so it's um you mean the Israeli kids? Yes, okay, is Rome
2: well. The United States is as Rome was. The United States may not make it as long as Rome did, but they are still the world leader. Even though a lot of damage, according to the world, the United States has been on a slide for the last four years, and that's not my opinion. I'm not giving my opinion. That's
0: the
2: opinion of world leaders. But it's still Rome, and English is a very important language.
0: Right. The kids are Israeli. Yes. From American families, some of them, or are they all Israelis from Israeli parents?
1: Straight Israeli kids. Mm -hmm. Wow. What are the age groups that you work with now? Uh, From fourth grade to uh, 11th grade. Okay.
0: Yeah, so just in general, I guess, uh, education, right? Chinuch in Hebrew um, can be like an amorphous term. How do you define education?
2: How do I find, (laughs) could you try for some harder questions? (laughs) Um, I think it's, I think it's inspiring a young person or a person to search their own path and to ask and to learn to ask questions, as many questions as they can about the path they're on. Mm. And and I think that it's my job as, as an educator not to tell them what to believe and not to set the curriculum, but to put the curriculum parameters. Um for instance, at 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 I, I enjoy teaching Musa. You know, ethics and morality are like my favorite thing to teach to kids because they get it.
0: Right. I know and, I know Rabbi Ira Stone is pretty involved in that, isn't
2: he? Uh, he was amazing. He is amazing. He's one of the leaders in the United States in Musa. Mm-hmm. Had that privilege of working underneath him? Oh, please. <laughs> um, so we had a social action curriculum at Mainline Reform, and I thought the curriculum was stupid. That's all I could tell you. It's here are some questions. Give us the answers. Uh. That's, not, that's not how you teach. So I, I got permission from my boss to teach social action by having the kids pick what kind of social action they wanted to perform. And these are fourth graders and they broke up into small groups. You know, they call them capsules today, small capsules. And one group decided to collect coats for the poor. They collected a hundred and something coats. Wow. Fourth graders. And they, of course, had to find what does that have to do with Judaism, but they had to go through and find it on their own. Mm -hmm. I gave them materials and said, go find it. Go use the Internet. Go use the rabbi. Go use whoever you want. But find out your connection. Um, Another group uh, collected all kinds of books. I mean, the lobby was packed full of good used books that they donated. Another group, fourth graders collected, you know, supplies for the animal hospital and the shelters, blankets and food and all kinds of things. That's, that's the kind of work that they do. So what I always hope to do is that they can see the accomplishment was equal to the effort that they put in Mm -hmm. and that sets them on a path to continue.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Yeah. And then how did it tie back to um, Judaism or the lesson that you were teaching at the time?
2: Oh, we need to not only just take care of ourselves, but to take care of the people and the animals around us. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not a choice. It's, it's a commandment. It's not only a midah, it's a mitzvah. Wow. And it's not Christian, it's Jewish. And not to say that Christians don't take care of people around them, but it's part of who we are for centuries. It isn't a new thing. And they found where it's written in, and they found the the quotes, and then they presented it at the auditorium to the other kids in the synagogue as they were awarded their due, you know, congratulations. They they tied it together for other kids. One little boy called everybody that, and these are rich kids, called everybody that his his parents had invited for Thanksgiving and said, when you come, please bring two or three coats with you. We're donating them. Everybody who
1: walked through that door had to bring coats. That's awesome. Such a great lesson for them to learn.
0: So, Janet, what's the biggest challenge you faced as an educator?
1: Hmm.
2: Um. Biggest challenge, I think, that many educators and administrators who think inside the box. Um, I'll give you an example. There was a program in Philadelphia that brought kids at the same age level together on projects, Jewish projects. They get to know one another, they get to participate together, and they had a project to do. So I took, and my kids hated the program. Just, just absolutely hated the program they thought it was okay here's the word again stupid it didn't challenge them it didn't ask them for anything it just uh,
1: I see them.
2: okay so so i said okay well we can't quit so what do you want to do you want to write a book you want to make a film you want what do you want to do you want to record some music we have to do something for our project so they decided to make a film And they wrote about Rosh Hashanah on Long Beach Island after services, where friends and family got together. They wrote the script. They filmed it. They edited it. They tied it to Judaism all through the film. And that was their presentation, while everybody else brought cardboard pieces of cardboard with pictures on them.
1: Hmm. Same age group. Wow. I love that, (laughs) because they were able to use their own creativity and thought about how can I do this and make it exciting, make us interested in it and and make it a project that they could really call their own. Exactly. And that's, to me,
2: that's what being an educator does. It allows kids to do their thing while you're guiding them towards learning.
0: And that's why I love this question too, because, you know, you challenge, it's what's the biggest challenge? But the challenge is you're saying you should challenge the students. So it's almost like that challenge that you have is maybe there's, you know, we can tackle that in Jewish education and grow from that.
2: Okay, I'll go along with that.
1: Thank
0: you.
2: Um, Yasmina, were you there the year that we made the the films in Hebrew?
1: No, I was not.
2: Okay so so a big problem is teaching Hebrew in an English environment because sure. they don't get it every day and sure. it's it's prayer Hebrew and how much can you do so so the kids at BCBI decided to make films like there were capsules again and each capsule wrote their own script and we translated it for them you know and they worked on it and they could read it and they knew what they were doing right but they couldn't write it because they didn't have enough Hebrew but they did the whole thing in Hebrew one of the skits was from SNL. Do you remember the cheeseburger? I do. They did it, soy burger, soy burger.
1: <laughs> That's so funny.
2: And Elle was the one that kept saying, soy burger, soy burger. She was.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh.
2: Hysterical. Yeah. So, so again, and then at the end of the year, we showed those films to the parents. Wow. So the parents felt like they were big shots because look at my kids. They, could, they, they spoke in
1: Hebrew. Look what they did. Right. I definitely see that as a, a challenge. You know, English is such a major part of our, our lives and just how you get children, students to be comfortable with Hebrew because that's it. in Judaism, I mean, that's the language all of our Tfilot are in. That's, you know, you go to Israel, that's the language that is spoken there and Hebrew is everywhere. And um, how, do, how do you teach children to appreciate the language? Through cartoons. On the, I mean, we have YouTube, thank goodness. Yeah, for sure.
2: You know, you, you show them a YouTube every time they walk in the classroom. You can translate it for them. You have, uh, uh, I forgot the, the author's name, but he wrote The Nest about birds. Uh, He's a very famous uh, Israeli poet. So you take a group of kids who are in, I don't know, first grade, second, third grade, and you read the poem in Hebrew, and you read the poem in English, and you ask them to draw, make, do something that has meaning to that poem. And in the meantime, every time they're working on that project, you read another line in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. There's a great book called Shulam Alechem. Uh, It teaches kids how to read prayer Hebrew, but once you get the prayer Hebrew down, you can take that to another level and teach them conversational Hebrew. But but the concept, the only person that ever used those books was me. Mm -hmm. And how silly. If my kids can read the Megillah on Purim, you know, Aketa and they've only been in my classroom since September, and they can do that on the Bima in front of the, the kahila why wouldn't you use the books? And the kids taught each other. I didn't teach them. They sat together. If they had a problem, I answered it. I think educators need to know if you do what you've always done,
1: then you will get what you've always gotten. Definitely. That makes total sense.
2: And so, therefore, you to new educators, you have to be fresh. You know, you can't be stale. You have to, you're young. Hopefully they're young. Okay. And, and they stay cutting edge to what they're young. If there's a guy I worked with, he's now out in California, but he knew how to rap. So he got kids to rap and you know, they love that. So, He read his students. And so a new teacher has to learn how to read the students and to find out how to inspire them. And it never, ever comes from a book. Right. Wow. Talk to them. (laughs) Find out what they like. Find out what their interests are. Find a way to tie that to to the curriculum. Let them have fun. Read the faces. Are they having fun? If they're having fun and they're on task, then you're doing your job. For sure. I mean, that's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it.
1: (laughs) I think we do get stuck sometimes as educators, right? We have, oh, there's this curriculum we have to follow. We got to reach... Da, da 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 in this time frame and sometimes we just forget to take a step back and and really think about what actually is the best thing for for our students what are what are the most important things or what are the things that they need to learn but in a way that interests them yeah I think we get caught caught up
2: sometimes sometimes we only look at the what other Jewish educators are doing instead of what's out on the market. It's true. In general, you know, like slam poetry. You know, if you find kids that are into it, let them go for it. Give them a topic, find a way to teach other kids how to do it. What are you doing? What does Judaism say about it? What does Judaism say about poetry? Who are some of the great poets? Who are some of the great songwriters in Judaism?
1: For sure. And it's awesome because it gets them thinking about Judaism in a different light, not just, oh, we got to read this book. We got to do this. We got to just sit at our desk and do this. It it makes it more exciting for them, I think. Exactly. We had a uh, we had at at Mainline. That was my last
2: uh, teaching position. uh, Hanukkah was coming up and I really wanted them to get the story. I really wanted them to get to, to remember certain things. Okay. But I couldn't, I couldn't just give it to them. So I made them again in capsules, but they were like two people. They made board games and I promised that if they made the board game, I would actually have the boards printed. So they made board games and the questions and however they did it was all about what went on. Leading up to the destruction. Okay. So after that, they had these facts, and I said, All right, I'm going to have a quiz game, and winners get prizes. Okay, prizes always work. (laughs) And it was Hanukkah, so I'm going to give my kids gifts anyway. So they went home, and these kids learned the facts. And they were on teams and they I had buzzers that they slammed down on. And in the end, everybody got a prize, but nobody was allowed to open their prize until everybody got a prize. Wow. And they were, they were wrapped in big boxes, small boxes, every which way that you could imagine. And they all opened their prizes and they were all the same, a, a five and below gift certificate. <laughs> That's awesome. Cause you don't want one kid feeling bad because somebody else got what they wanted and this person didn't get it. So everybody got a, a gift certificate. It's true. You gotta watch out for that. And they studied it, and they learned it, and they knew it, and they did a board game on it, and other kids played those board games. That's
1: awesome. So now that you're tutoring, I guess what do you miss the most about being in the classroom? I don't. <laughs> I don't. I think I ran. I think I ran my race.
2: And I think it was time for me to go back and do what I started to do before I became a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I don't miss it because I'm also tutoring. So I'm tutoring the kids that can't stand being in the class in the
1: classroom. Okay.
2: So I still have that piece. Without making it a job. That makes sense.
1: So but it was a great some, uh... run.
2: It was a great run, Yasmina.
0: The greatest
2: thing I think I've done in my life is touch a few students so that they went on and explored Judaism. Not everyone, but enough. For sure. And that—that that, I think that's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, how do you think, educators, we can help our students, help our children to build a proper Torah and Jewish foundation? Can you come up with another complicated question? Please? <laughs> what do you mean by proper? Um, making sure that we're really preparing them for the future that they're going to you know experience when they encounter others when they're pursuing deeply more deeply Jewish concepts or Jewish values or more Torah as they get older um, how do we prepare them I guess?
2: Is your term Torah uh, include in the to them or mamash just Torah Because sometimes Torah means Tanakh and
1: sometimes Torah means just Torah.
0: You're turning the tables on us, Janet.
1: <laughs> That's a good question. Um,
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess we, we were kind of thinking too with this question, um, like knowledge of, of Torah, like a, a wide, you know, wide knowledge of uh, okay. what's out there. Right, obviously, okay. I mean, we, we, you know, we assume it's important that the student should be aware of, you know, Torah, what is it, um so that's what we mean, I think, by proper Torah foundation. Um, well,
2: that depends on the movement, because the reform certainly, although the joke is that Orthodox are actually reformed because reform says you should study everything there is and then make choices, and the Orthodox decided to choose everything. So um it depends on the movement and how they see it, because the reform movement sees it more as uh, a document having been read, uh, started to be uh, printed in the Davidic period. The Orthodoxy, it is the word of God.
0: <laughs> a major yeah. difference, right?
2: Yeah. And the conservative, they're just kind of traditionalists walking down the path. Um, and then you have the Reconstructionist. So everybody sees it a little bit differently. But I think that the beauty of Torah is that its lessons, unfortunately, still apply today. And I say, unfortunately, because we should have learned them by now, and we should have been giving them door to door, door, but we haven't.
0: Hmm.
2: And so, what happened to the dis, mm, the deception of Jacob and his sons?
0: Well, yeah, maybe it? maybe it's like you're saying. You know, the Torah's keeping it fresh. You know,
2: it's but like it shouldn't be fresh. It shouldn't be fresh because it's so deep. Torah is so, su- such a deep with stories and laws and uh, history <laughs> to a certain degree and uh, moral lessons that if we would just as a people learn something that we can hand down across the board, door to door, mm-hmm. then we've got it made. But there's been deception and lies and murder and everything that there is. The first murder, the first barbecue was Noah. Okay. Uh, So what you want to do is you want to set out the stories so that the kids ask the questions. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay. For instance, in the Garden of Eden, God comes and goes, where are you? Well, the great question is, if God knows everything, he knows where Adam and Eve are. Hmm. So what actually does that question mean? Right, right. Um, if you look at Abraham, if, if if you look at all the deceptions and the jokesters and and what they had to go through to make themselves right, what lessons do we learn from that?
1: Right.
2: You know, if you if you know that you know the skit, the fifty the fifty letter skit, in, I believe it's fifty letters in 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 Torah. And it spells the word Torah all the way through the first two books of the Torah. And the last two books, it's spelled Torah backwards for the last two books. And the middle book that would be Leviticus. The 50-letter skipped is Adonai.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is what?
2: Adonai. Adashem? Huh? I don't want to offend
0: you. Yeah. Wow. Um, I never heard that. I'll have to uh I'll have to Look it up.
2: It's called the think? biblical. It, it, there's a biblical code. I heard it when I was a kid from Orthodox. I grew up with Orthodox people all around me. I heard it as a kid before computers, and then they did it on the computers. That's so interesting.
1: Yeah, we're gonna yeah,
0: you into like, that, like one of those Bible codes.
2: similar, and at the end of every chapter in the Torah, it leads to the next book. The last couple of words. I didn't bring it with me out here on the porch. But look at the last couple of words in each book of the Torah. It leads to the next book.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like that would be hard to do for just a a mortal human being, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, everything is hard. We know nothing. (laughs) We know nothing. We need to search for everything. And pilpul is an important, at at BZBI, I did a lot of pilpul with sixth graders. Give him giving them an example. I gave them an example of two geese are walking down the street. One's a white goose, one's a black goose. They clean chimneys. Who takes mm-hmm. the shower? Wow! Who? <laughs> and it started a discussion. One person, of course, said, "Oh, well, the black goose." I said, "But he's looking at the white goose," and then that started them. That's and so they, funny. they got really deep. And I just <laughs> yeah, I can see it. that. So you take something from the Torah and you present it. And you let the kids debate it because there's no right or wrong.
0: Right. Wow. <laughs> there's definitely some common ground, though, between all the denominations in terms of defining Torah, though, right? I don't think so. No. I
2: think that's the big problem. I mean, the, the Reforming believe that it was written in the Davidic period, it began being written in the Davidic period, mm-hmm. that at the beginning of Torah until you reach uh, Abraham was not ours it came from Mesopotamia but if you tell that to an Orthodox person they're liable to have a heart attack
0: Mm -hmm. right right yeah I mean I I see that as like as part of like the root of the problem you know I mean that's a serious difference that you know maybe we kind of gloss over we don't really like address it properly but it just seems like for a student to not know clearly which way it is is a problem no
2: Oh, I agree with you. I think you can do it through plays, you know? Right. I think that, that, that there are great plays out there, Sigra for the week. <laughs> I think that if you if you stop saying that Jacob was a liar, if you it, it, the orthodox would teach it that Jacob was a liar. Mm-hmm. The reform cha- teach it as Jacob was a trickster, but if you look at history His mother came from a culture that the youngest inherited. And then you had the deal with the porridge. So was he a trickster or a liar? Hmm. And who did he wrestle with when he went to meet his brother? Mm -hmm. Did he wrestle with Mm -hmm. himself or did he wrestle with Elohim? That's, Mm -hmm. or the angel from Elohim. Yeah. That's a difference because the Orthodox would not have any part of that.
0: Right. But I guess also like, you know, in Orthodox, you're going to have the commentaries to rely on that go into a lot, you know, more detail about a lot of those things. Right. Which again is like a difference because, you know, is it just commentators kind of making up what they think, right? Like reform would say that anyone can come along afterwards and come up with their own interpretation.
1: So actually tying into that though, what do you think successful Jewish education is going to look like in the future? I think that,
2: that um, it depends on who's teaching versus who's inspiring. Mm -hmm. I think that we need to look into our, my personal opinion, of course, is look back to the past when, early 1900s when Jewish people came to the Lower East Side and there were Jewish community centers. Granted, they were a building, okay? And then in Baltimore, they continued with that where you could play basketball, eat, study Torah. Uh, People got together socially. They got together religiously. And there was a place to do everything. And then it changed because we got some money. Mm-hmm. And synagogues, great synagogues were built, and we need to go back to the model that it serves the entire Jewish community. give music lessons in a Jewish atmosphere instead of the jew instead of sending him to or her to the music school, have the music people come to a Jewish community center mm-hmm. Kids will end up playing Jewish music. You don't have to always give it to them, but they'll play it because they'll hear other kids playing it. You know, basketball, you know, you you could have, you know, community centers playing against one another, not having to go to a separate place to do that. Mm -hmm. Chess championships. Make it one place for everybody. Put a library in there. But at this point, the only thing you do in a synagogue is either go pray, go get educated, or go home, for the most part. Hmm. And we need more because we are becoming fast acculturated, and and that means Friday night, there's no shul unless there's, you know, mandatory, we're eating dinner with everybody in your class. Instead, parents want to go to a Chinese restaurant and to a movie.
0: Right. And and this it's becoming accelerated obviously with the uh the COVID and the, the social distancing and all that.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Oh absolutely. Well that's that's something that nobody uh, it just happened.
0: Right. Are are you guys wearing masks up on the uh kibbutz?
2: Uh some people are. Most people are. When you go off kibbutz, when you go into the, the grocery store. Right. When you go to get food out of the shuttle. hotel, nobody's eating in the, the dining hall. You take food, you go home. Okay. Um, I've seen teachers teach classes without masks. You know, it's the same thing in the States, but we live so far away from the city that there's not that much COVID up here. Okay. Thank goodness. Yeah, right. Think- wow. Um, You know, and if we don't start praying for the angels, the angels are never going to pray for us. Wow. And we need some help. That's my opinion. If you don't pray for the angels, if you forget to pray for the angels, the angels aren't going to pray
0: for you. Now, do you you teach prayer at all?
2: No. I used to. In the States. Uh Um, Never thought much about prayer. I'm not a prayer person. I'm a very solitary person when it comes to praying to God. Hmm. Always have been. My favorite prayer was, was the cottage. Go figure.
1: Right. Even as
2: a child. But other than that, the only place I ever became really inspired by prayer was BZBI. Okay. And that wasn't every Saturday, but it was most of the time that we were in the main chapel.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you, you, you guys were lucky to have that um, when you did. Ira Stone was amazing. definitely
1: were for sure. Cindy was amazing. Cindy is amazing. She really, yeah, she amazing. is incredible. Love Cindy. Yeah,
2: definitely one of the her. most compassionate Jewish people that I've ever met in my life. She's got Jewish running through the veins. me. veins, yeah. not blood. Really.
1: And that connection with the children—that she just has a way. She's she's she taught me so much. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Love how
2: she handles kids. <laughs> it's true. Love how she sees them. Okay. But yeah, she's an amazing person, always has been. I'm so glad life took a great, uh, she got this job as as principal at a great synagogue.
1: Yeah, she's doing well. So thank God. Yeah. Well, uh, we are so thankful and grateful that you were able to join us on the podcast today. and. Uh, We wish you all the best going forward with tutoring in Israel. Hopefully we'll see you there. I'll tell you what, I will send you
2: my phone number and you have WhatsApp, yeah? Yes. So we'll WhatsApp each other. I'll send you my phone number, WhatsApp me, and then we'll stay in contact. Perfect. That sounds like a plan.
0: Yeah, Janet, Thank you for the honor. These were some great discussions. Uh, maybe we'll have to continue them uh, off mic here too.
2: Love you guys. Stay healthy. Stay Love well. You. you married an amazing woman. I don't know you, but I know her. Amazing <laughs> yeah. woman. Oh, thank yes, you ma'am. so much. Talk. Talk. And take well, care. Janet. Good week. Yep. <laughs> see you when I see you. <laughs> Bye.